like that. You Hello and all, welcome that. to like this Friday that. edition of the Logan Blyman Show. This is going to be a very fun episode. This is going to be a very, very fun episode. I know I say that quite a bit when doing the Logan Blyman Show because I, I, you know, I got to try and sell this thing. But this is one I'm actually excited about because for those who are unaware, the 2022 FIFA World Cup starts on Sunday. Let's go, ladies and gentlemen. We got a game on Sunday. And then we got the United States' first game against Wales on Monday. Give yourselves a round of applause for that. We'll go over all things with the FIFA World Cup. We got some NFL news to talk about. We got the Buffalo Bills versus the Detroit Lions. New stadium, new city, where they're playing that game now with the three to six feet. Yes, not inches, feet of snow coming away to Buffalo. We'll get to all that in a little bit, but make sure before we start the show, make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is below, is Logan Blackman. Or Blackman Logan. Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure to subscribe and like on both. Watch a few videos, click on a few, a few blog posts. We got a blog post coming for you today, so make sure you take a look at that with our Week 11 quarterback prospect ranking since we did not get one out last week. Because we had a pretty busy week last week, we had a pretty busy week this week, but a little less hectic than what was going on last week, so I apologize for not having week 10 out, but we will have week 11 out for you. And of course, you're listening to the show right now, so make sure you're following the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure you leave a rating out of five stars on both, and then leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do, whether it's good, bad, ugly, whatever. I'm just excited to be here today because this is our 2022 FIFA World Cup prediction episode. And I'm very excited for this because the FIFA World Cup is the pinnacle of sporting tournaments. I know here in America, we love like the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, the NFL playoffs, the NBA playoffs. There's anything with the word playoffs. We love it. Postseason sports in America, that's what we live on. We live on knockout style sporting events like playoff bracket, whatever. We love our tournaments here in America. We love the World Series, love the MLB playoffs and all that stuff. But the pinnacle of sporting tournament is the FIFA World Cup. All the best countries from all around the world come together in one country, regardless of how <laughs> legit that bid was. They all come together and are unified for about a month. And then we wait to see who is crowned the champions of the World Cup. Now, we're going to get to our predictions here in a little bit, but I thought this would be kind of fun to start off the show like this, where we found a quiz on Sporkle, which you can go on Sporkle as well and search it, is the World Cup Winners Quiz on Sporkle. Now, the, I was trying to avoid this because I, I wanted to try and guess both the winners and the losers of the World Cup Final, but it's already got the runners up in the, in the bracket, so we just got to name the winners. We got five minutes to name 21 teams. Of course, there's been 21 World Cups. We'll have another champion. We'll have 22 champions by the end of the 2022 World Cup, just uh, amazing how that all worked out. But I'm excited. I'm excited for the World Cup, and I think this will be a good way to start everything off. So without further ado, let's get into the quiz. So obviously, oh, we're going in that order. No, I want to start down with 2018. So we're going with France. They won in 2018. And then in 2014, we had Germany with Mario Goza scoring extra time, beating Argentina and Messi. 2010, we have Spain, uh, Andres Iniesta scoring an extra time as well. 2006 was Italy with Zidane Zidane headbutting uh, Marco Materazzi. I think that's who he headbutted. I'm I'm blanking on that one. I do apologize for that. 20, 2002, that was Brazil. 1998, Brazil lost that final to France. France. Francais. 
1994, on penalties, Roberto Roberto Baggio, the Divine Ponytail was his nickname back then, maybe still is, maybe still is, missed a penalty. It was in the United States, 1994, in the Rose Bowl in Brazil, came away World Cup World Champions. In 1990, it was the Germans winning there. And then 1886, I believe, was Argentina. Yes. 1982, can we go all the way through and do it like this? Was it Brazil? It was not. Crap. Um, is Argentina again? No. Who else would have won a World Cup? By the- There's only one. Okay. So we can go 1966. It was England. That's the only World Cup they've ever won. Is it Italy? It was Italy. Nice, 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 nice. 1978, Germany beat the Netherlands in a final. I don't remember if it was that one in se- or 74. This uh, 78 was Argentina. 74 was Germany then with Franz Beckenbauer, I believe. 1970 against Brazil or against Italy. I'm guessing it was Brazil. I know 1962 was Brazil because that was Be- Pele's, one of Pele's breakout tournaments. 1958 against Sweden. Was that also Brazil? 1958 was his debut one, because Brazil has won six World Cups, I believe. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, wait, 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 wait. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, so we got another one coming up here in a little bit. 1954, I believe, was Germany? Yeah, okay, 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 okay. 1950? Well, they could have just put the first one in. It's Uruguay. They won the first ever one in their host country. 1934. So we're missing three. We got 241 left in the quiz. We're kind of breezing through it right now. Knock on wood, of course. Brazil had to win one of these World Cups because there's still one more out there missing for Brazil. So I'm guessing it was 1938 because I tried it in the other ones. Okay, so we've already got... Can I not count? I thought Brazil had won six. Have they only won five? Okay. Works for me. I think Italy actually won the second one. Yeah, 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 yeah. 1938, was it Germany? See, the thing that helps this out quite a bit is that there aren't a lot of teams that have won the World Cup. There's six teams that have won the World Cup. And they are the teams we've already mentioned. We've mentioned all of them already. But I'm missing two of them. I'm missing 1938-1950 because we have France winning... They've won twice, or three times, twice, 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 twice. Or are they one of these teams? No. Okay, so we got a minute 39 left. So we got France, Germany, Spain, Italy, Brazil. So there's five, and then England. So those are all the teams in Uruguay. So there's seven teams. Did Uruguay win another one? They did. They did. And now we've got 1938. Netherlands have never won one. Came close a lot. They've been runners-up more often than anybody else. They've been runners-up three times, losing to Germany once, Argentina once, and then Spain once. So they've lost to a different team every single time. 1938, we got a minute and ten left. 1938, it's not... So it's not Uruguay. It's not Brazil. It's not Italy. It is Italy. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to go back through. I was going through all the teams again. I bet you fill out crossword puzzles and pen. I do. I do. Pretty good at crossword puzzles. Like word searches more, but crossword puzzles aren't that bad. So, yeah. We had 59 seconds to spare. Like, when a, when a tournament, it's been around forever, but it's every four years. So, it's not like going through the Super Bowl and you got, like, every single year. You got to try and name a team. Now, would I have been able to guess every single team that came runner-up? No, I would not have guessed Czechoslovakia. And they were in it twice. 
I, I don't think I would have been able to guess that. Hungary I would have gotten around to because Pushkash was in there, was in the World Cup final. Their greatest ever player. And what other... T- uh, no, I knew Sweden was in one. Would have gotten around to Germany. Obviously, I knew the most recent ones. I knew all the ones in the 21st century. I knew those ones pretty easily. But then once you got to 1990... I would have gotten 98 because I knew Brazil lost there. And I would have gotten 94. So I would have gotten 94 to 2018 both fairly easily. And then I would have had to guess for the rest of them. I, I knew who the winners were. But I could not have... Yes, gee, so West Germany went to three finals in four years and only lost one. Call them the Buffalo Bills of the, the World Cup, but they've actually uh, they've won one. So I, think, I guess it's a little different. I guess it's a tiny bit different. But I just thought that'd be a fun way to start up the show today. I love going back through the history of sports, especially with the tournament that's been around for, for years, for absolutely for, forever. Like Uruguay won the first World Cup on home soil. They beat Brazil at the Maracanã, which was... They had, I think, around 200,000 people in attendance for that game. Like, that is the the most famous, one of the most famous finals of all time is 1950 World Cup between Uruguay and Brazil. And for some reason, I forgot that existed. You know what's even funnier than that? I looked at it earlier today. I looked at it earlier today and completely blanked on it. And then obviously Brazil, Pele won three World Cups, so that one was fairly easy to get those ones in there. England won 1966. Would have got I would have gotten Germany for that one. That one was one in England. Bobby Moore, Bobby Charlton, a bunch of great England players. They had the red jerseys on when they took home the trophy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then England would have had a had a World Cup final appearance in the Maradona Hand of God. I don't remember which one. I think it was 1986 World Cup was when England lost to Argentina with the Hand of God. But yeah, that is your FIFA World Cup history for you. Now let's go into the predictions for the 2022 rendition of the FIFA World Cup. Let's take another sip of, of liquid here. And let's get into it. So, we got, we got, you know, you got groups A all the way down through group H. And we're going to try and predict first, second, third, and fourth. We'll try to provide reasonings for every single prediction that we have. Okay, starting off in group A, I think the Netherlands will win it. I think the Netherlands are too good of a team to come anything less than second. I know they, there's a history with the Netherlands and a lot of infighting, but you just look at their squad their squad's better than every single team in this group by by quite a wide margin. I'm intrigued to see what they're going to do in net. I don't know who's going to start for the Netherlands in net. Jasper Sillison was a surprise in, uh, non-inclusion in the squad, which shocked me. Like, combined, the Netherlands goalkeepers have eight caps. With Pasveer, the Ajax goalie, he's 39 years old, having two. Bijlo plays for Feyenoord, has six. And then Norpert, for Hernveen, has zero. So I, I'm very intrigued to see what that one looks like, but their their team is just stacked. Like you look at the defense, you got Urian Timber, Matthias Delict, Virgil Van Dyke, Virgil Van Dyke, Nathan Ake, Stefan Devry, Tyrell Malassia, Daly Blind, Denzel Dumfries, Jeremy Frimpong. Now, if Delict doesn't do what he did against the Czech Republic in the Euros, they should be fine there. Midfield, you got Berghaus for Ajax, you got Davy Clausen, Martin Darun. Uh, two and Coop Myers. You got Frankie Dion, Kenneth Taylor, who's been balling out for Ajax this year, and Javi Simmons, who's moved to PSG or PSV from PSG. And then up top, you got Steven Bergvine, Cody Gakpo, Luke De Jong, Memphis Depay, Noah Lang, Vincent Janssen, who I did not expect in this squad because I haven't heard of this dude in years. He balled out for PSV. I think it was PSV. It was PSV or AZ Alkmaar, and then made the move to Tottenham. Did not do anything there, and I think went to Monterey in Mexico, and I never heard of it since. And then Voot Vanghorst. Plays for Besiktas. Moved to, to Burnley from, I think, Wolverhampton. 
it was Wolverhampton or Werder Bremen over in Germany. I don't remember the exact team he played for, but he made the move over to yeah, okay, it was Wolfsburg. It was Wolfsburg. Made the move to Burnley, did absolutely nothing there, now is on loan at Besiktas. Saw them get relegated at there as well, but that team's just so good. There's some again, there's some question marks around the goalkeeping spots for them, but their squad's just really deep. Like you're they're gonna play with a back five, probably, or back four or back three, however you want to look at it. So back five or back three. Your your center back partnerships are probably gonna read as follows Delict, Van Dyke, and Ake. But I could see there being a reality where Urian Timbers introduced in the lineup. Denzel Dumfries has been ever present at the right wing back spot for them. And then you have Tyler Melassia and Daly Blind has played white wing back or left wing back during the twenty fourteen World Cup under um Louis Van Gaal. More of a center back now, but could still do that. He can fill any role you need him to, but Tyro Malassi would be perfect for that type of role. Maybe they decide to go with the back four, but I think a back three or back five is what we're looking at for the Netherlands. And they got a midfield partnership. You got Frankie de Jong and Martin Darun have been the main center midfield partnerships for them. And then up top, kind of rotated around with this. But like during the Euros, it was Woot Vanghorst and uh, Memphis Depay. And then you rotate with Vanghorst and a few other people in there. But it kind of depends on what other, what if they're going to have a midfield three or a front three. Or what, but I just think their squad's too good. And then second place is interesting because before we started the show about an hour ago, we got an update that Sadio Mane is missing the World Cup. And that makes Senegal's squad a lot. It's 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 a tough one because their squad's not bad. Senegal's squad's pretty good. They just won the Africa Cup of Nations, which is an awesome tournament. I'd recommend you watch that if you haven't already. I watched a final few years ago. It was between the Ivory Coast and I believe, oh crap, it was some smaller country. Uh, crap. It was a penalty shootout. It went like 9 to 8 or 10 to 11 or something like that. What was the other country? Zaire? I think it might have been Zaire. But I can't, I for whatever reason, I can't remember. It was like, yeah, Didier Drogba, Gervinho, uh, Solomon Kalou, Bubakar Barry was in net for the Netherlands. You had Kolo Toure. I don't know if I said Yaya Toure, but he was there. But Senegal, like Edward Mendy, who's not been in the best form for Chelsea, has kind of been displaced by Kepa Arizabalaga. But... Still great for the for Senegal. You got Kaladu Koulibaly, similar situation. They're not in the best form for Chelsea, but a very solid center back nonetheless. Balo Toure plays over in AC Milan. Uh, Abadou Diallo plays well for RB Leipzig. Then in midfield, you got Idrissa Gay, who just made, went back to Everton. You got Cheku Kuyate, who's very ever-present in the, these, uh, these Senegal national team squads. Then you've got, of course, Sadio Mane out. But Ismail Assar, still stuck in the championship with Watford, but a baller on his day. Like, they've got a very solid team, but not having their best player hurts. That hurts a lot. <laughs> I don't I don't think you really need me to tell you that, but not having your best player makes it difficult, especially when there's reports of guitar. What was the... There was some insane number. Guitar Ecuador. I got I to gotta try. I want to make sure I've got this right, because I don't know how correct it is. But it's a recent report done by Amaj Taha, who's a reporter over in Qatar. Exclusive Qatar bribed eight Ecuadorian players $7.4 million to lose the opener. one nothing. second half. Five Qatari and Ecuador insiders confirmed this. We hope that's false. We hope sharing this will affect the outcome. The world should oppose FIFA corruption. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, thank you for saying that, but everybody opposes FIFA corruption. FIFA is going to be corrupt regardless of people liking it or not. People don't like it now. And I was already going to predict Ecuador to come in last. I was kind of teeter-tottering between Senegal and Qatar because we saw Qatar in the Gold Cup. And Qatar's got a very, very solid time, a squ- solid squad. I would have predicted them to beat Ecuador anyways. And with them being the home team, 
there's always that sense of national pride you get when you're playing in front of your home fans. Like, there's some weird videos going around of, like, Qatari nationals um, wearing, like, English stuff and Argentinian stuff. And there was a video of them singing the, it's coming home, it's coming, football's coming, that song. And it's just way off. It's not, it's not a, it ain't it, Chief. It ain't it. But their squad's not bad. Their squad's very, very experienced. It's their first World Cup, I, if I remember correctly. But they've got some good players. Like Akram Hafif, baller. Elmos Ali, baller. We saw, again, we saw him in the Gold Cup. We saw a lot of these players in the Gold Cup. They're, like, really, 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 really good players. You got Hassan El Haidos, who 169 caps. Baller, free kick spe- set piece specialist for guitar. Like, they've got players on this team. It's not like they're struggling for players or this is some like, oh, they're going to be nice. It's gonna, they're going to host the tournament and they'll just quietly go out. No, I think they would have been a challenge for Senegal regardless if uh, Sadio Mane was playing or not. Now, I still am going to put Senegal through, at least right now. I might change that at the end. But because Sadio Mane missing out is massive. There was rumors that he was going to miss all the games apart from the last group stage game. And then they just made it official that he will miss out. You know what? I'm like we saw this similar thing happen to Egypt in the 2018 World Cup with Mohamed Salah having that shoulder injury after the Champions League final against Real Madrid, and then they just weren't the same. And Qatar, and you had uh, Russia in that group as well, and it was kind of a similar-ish situation. Now I think that Qatar has a better team, or uh, Senegal has a better team than that England, that Egyptian team was. They were so heavily relying on Mohamed Salah, whereas they didn't have players like Edouard Mendy or Khalidou Koulibaly or Ismail Assar. I mean, they had like Mohamed Elneny, and that was, I I'm, apologize, I'm but I don't really remember any of the other players they had on that roster. Their goalie was about 100 years old. That's about all I remember. But I'll come back to that one. I'll come back to that one. But Group B, uh, you can call me biased. You can call me biased. But okay, England's going to win the group. I don't think England should have too many problems. We know they will. Because it's England and they play a just naturally defensive system. They'll play with a back five. In some of their games, in the tougher games, this is how they usually line up. They line up with a back five in the tougher games. And in the, the games where they could go on the front foot, they like to play with a back four and kind of like fluctuate between a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-3-3. We saw that at the Euros. Like you look at some of the group stage games they played. And then you saw it against Germany and Italy, just to name a couple, where they played a back five. Now in the 2018 World Cup, they exclusively played with a back five because they have a lot of defensive issues. The biggest area of concern for the England squad is their defensive areas. And you can look at this two ways. Like, if you have a problem area like that, and it's very noticeable that your defense is clearly the weakest part of your squad, would you be someone that goes, oh, defense is our weakest part of a squad. Let's have less defenders out there and play with a back four and go like a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3 or something like that. Or defense is our worst problem. Let's add an extra defender to kind of hide that fact. So it's kind of a a weird situation you got to get stuck in. England's still got a lot of quality in this roster, enough quality to break through the group and easily should be able to win this group. But they said the same thing back in 2010. They said the same thing in pretty much uh, 2014. They had a little tougher group, but they weren't expected to come last in their group. And then 2010, they came second in the United States, and they they had that whole thing in the newspapers that said easy. This group's going to be a little. They'll, each group, each team in this group will present their different challenges. Second place, we're going to have the United States. And it's not just because I'm from the United States and obviously want the United States to do well in this tournament. But like we said last week, this is the 
best squad the United States has ever brought to a World Cup. The most talented squad the United States has ever brought to a World Cup is in the 2022 World Cup. You look at how the players on this squad that would just crap on a lot of the other players the United States has brought to previous World Cups. Like, there was no, we didn't have the depth. Like, you had some star players like Donovan and Dempsey appearing at World Cups. But that was pretty much it. When you look at this team, there's depth. There's actual depth. There's people arguing about who should start. Like, in 2010, they were arguing about who should start next to Josie Alter or Robbie Finley, Edson Buttle, or Hercules Gomez. We're not having those conversations now. We're not having, oh, who should start if Josie Alter gets hurt in 2014, Aaron Johansson or Chris Wondolowski. We're not having that. We're a, this is a young squad. It's a very young squad. Again, the average age of the squad is 25 years old. But when you're, you have a squad like that, they don't know any different. They don't feel the pressure. You saw that with England squad in the 2018 World Cup. They didn't have the pressure of the previous eras. There was a whole new squad in there. The team that lost to Iceland was gone. In the 2016 Euros, that team was gone. You had a whole new, fresh-faced England team in there. And I'm not saying the United States is going to do the same thing and go to a World Cup semifinal. I'm not saying that at all. But I think this youthfulness is something they could use to their advantage. 25 years old. And you've got players like Christian Pulisic. you got Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Giovanni Reina, Brendan Aronson. Ballers, Jonas Musa. Like, the defense, yeah, it's a little scary to me. But from what the reports are saying right now is that what it looks like we can see a couple starting lineup spots opening up. The midfield three, unsurprisingly, unsurprisingly is Adams, Musa, McKinney. And then there's the reported center back partnership, at least the ones that are working out with the starters, is Walker Zimmerman and Tim Ream. And I like it. I think that's the best center back pairing they have. I was expecting him to go with Aaron Long just because he's been very high on Aaron Long, but he's been high on Tim Ream in the past as well. But I think Tim Ream, if you want to play how Burhalter wants to play, he's the best ball-playing center back the United States has. So if you want to play that way, you've got to have someone like Tim Ream. Now, his height is something that will be somewhat of a concern. He's only six foot one, which is not short for, you know, the average person. And he's not the most aerially gifted. Like Aaron Long, though he's six one, is more aerially gifted than that. And same with Carter Vickers, that of Tim Ream. Walker Zimmerman's obviously the big one. He's six foot three. He's the slowest out of the group. I don't know. That's pretty close between him and Tim Reeve. But they have a lot of speed at the wing back spots with Serginio Dest, DeAndre Yedlin, Shaq Moore, Joe Scaley, Anthony Robinson. They've got a lot of speed back there. You've got an experienced goalkeeper and and Matt Turner, who's one of the best shot stoppers, natural shot stoppers in the tournament. I'm not saying he's the greatest goalkeeper in the tournament. I don't think he's the most well-rounded goalkeeper. But I think if you're just wanting blocked shots and goals not being allowed, I think Turner's one of the best in this tournament. Like, there's a lot of talent in this team, and I think there's enough talent here to get you past Wales and Iran. And Wales is an interesting one because, obviously, they have the best player out of the three outside of England, and that's Gareth Bale. Like, Gareth Bale, yeah, dude is right now 33 years old. Gareth Bale would start for the United States and would start for Iran. No questions asked. Gareth Bale is an elite player. The question is, Wales has some goalkeeping issues. Wayne Hennessy does not start. He hasn't started for about three years. He was at Burnley, and now he's at Nottingham Forest. And then we got Danny Ward, who starts for Leicester City, stinks. So we don't know what's going on there. The defense is not great either. I don't. Wales usually lines up with a back five. At least that's what they did when they had the most success. But this Wales team, they have a very good sense of togetherness, which I think will work well for them. And you have obviously the best player in the group, and or out of the out of the the bottom three in this group, and Gareth Bale. And you got a lot of speed with Bale and Daniel James and stuff like that. But it's a weird, it's a weird one. I think the United States has enough talent to get past 
get past England or get past Wales. And it's going to be interesting when like Kiefer Moore comes in for for Wales. He's going to be six foot five. And the United States is relatively dominant when it comes to aerial duels. But when you have a guy like Kiefer Moore come in and you got Harry Maguire for England, Harry Kane, all those people, it's going to be interesting. Now with Iran, they're going to be a tough team to break down. They're going to make it damn near impossible to break them down. They might have thirty percent of the possession, but they're going to be tough to break down. Now they haven't been in the greatest form recently. Like, in your past five games, they've lost two, drawn one, and, I mean, they've won one. So they're 2-2-1, two, two, which isn't the greatest. It's not terrible, but it's not the greatest thing of all time. And the thing that's weird about this team, they brought four goalies. They're one of two teams that I can remember that brought four goalies in this tournament. That's odd. That's very, very odd. Now, Sardar Asmuan, Asmuan, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry I pronounced his name wrong. But he's really, he's a solid player. Very, very solid player. Other reason, Yahan Bash, I could say that one easily. Very solid player. Plays over in Feyenoord in the Netherlands. What other players we re- are really standing out with this team? I mean, they got, they're just a really together team. That's what you kind of need when you don't have a bunch of like natural talent within your squad. But I think Iran will come last. I'm going to go with the United States, Wales, Iran, finishing this group off. Group C, I think this one's pretty straightforward. But I'll explain why one of them could... I could be wrong about here in a little bit. Group C, I think, goes Argentina, Poland, Mexico, Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia were basically there for vibes in the 2018 World Cup. They got absolutely blasted the entire time. I don't see them coming. They might score one goal. They might score one goal. And that might be the last game of the group against when they play Mexico. But Mexico, I don't like their squad. This is one of the weakest Mexican squads that we've had in recent World Cups. And they've lost a lot of games recently. And when you're going to a World Cup, they just lost their game to Sweden. Sweden didn't even make the World Cup. And they just lost to them. They played them yesterday. Lost 2-1. to one. So it's it's not the greatest Mexican team of all time. They have very a lot, they have a lot of experience in net. Guillermo Ochoa is a freaking baller when it comes to the World Cup. And Alfredo Talavera, Talavara sorry, is a very solid backup option. And has played quite a bit for Mexico in the past as well. They've obviously got some experience in center back. You got Hector Moreno is going to have over 130 appearances for Mexico once this tournament's done. Jorge Sanchez, Jesus Gallardo, very solid player. No Rafael Marquez, surprisingly. Feels like he's going to be in every World Cup for Mexico. Midfield's where they're best at, probably. You got Edson Alvarez, you got Carlos Rodriguez, Eric, Eric Gutierrez. Then you've got Andres Guadrado. Like they've got a very solid group in the middle. And then you got Raul Jimenez, probably the best player on the squad. Reginio Richie's. Rogelio Funes Mori, who was an option for the United States as well, but uh, no, went to Mexico instead. Irving Lozano, baller as well. Henry Martin, decent player. Like, they've got options. Irving Lozano's a fast player. Doesn't really have a ton of end product, but is a very big threat on the counterattack. And Raul Jimenez is a, is a very good striker. To obviously, and this this comes with the territory. A totally different player since fracturing his skull. That's That doesn't really need to be said. That's kind of obvious. But I'm just not in love with this Mexican squad. They always play tough at the World Cup. They're always a tough team to beat. But I, I, we don't really need to talk about Argentina. But Poland, the problem with Poland to me is that they're one of those teams that play way too much, in my opinion, through their best player. And when your best player is your striker and not nas- necessarily playing in the midfield, like with Argentina, this is the big difference between Argentina and teams like Sweden, Portugal, and Poland who play through their best player. Messi plays the number 10 for Argentina. So he has the license to track back and go forward. When you're Sweden, Portugal, or Poland, your best players, Zlatan, Ronaldo, and Lewandowski, you're asking them to track back. And when they track back, that takes away their threat from, from goal. 
Now, Lewandowski obviously scored 76 goals for Poland, and I don't think he'll have problems scoring this tournament, but Poland is a weird team in these tournaments. Very, very weird team. Like, they have talent on this roster. It's not like they're they're stressed for talent. They have the best goalkeeping situation, the most steady goalkeeping situation out of the national teams in this group, like, in regards to experience while also not being a dinosaur as well. I know Ochoa has been to multiple World I think he's been to five World Cups, I think is what they said, four or five World Cups. He's been to a lot of them. He's been to a lot of them. But Woodshek Chesney, very solid goalkeeper. He has the odd error in him every once in a while, but it mostly is solid. Matty Cash, you know, very Poland name. Mateusz Kosz, <laughs> very, very Poland name. Uh, Camille Glick, uh, very solid defender there as well. And obviously Lewandowski, Arkady's Milik up at striker. Christoph Piatik, also another solid option up front. Uh, Gregor Kosciowiak, didn't know he was still a part of the Poland national team. Uh, Peter Zielinski, very solid player midfield as well. Kemil Grozicki, I didn't know that dude was still kicking it either. He played for whole city for a while. I didn't know dude was still kicking it. Impressive, impressive. Is there anybody else that really is... Jan Benderick, Benderick, I've never been able to really say his name. Solid defender for the Polish national team. Solid defender. I'm not saying he's amazing or anything, but solid. There was one player that was... Um, was it Kapuczka? I think his name was Kapuczka. He was the baller in the 2016 Euros, made the move to Leicester, and then I haven't seen anything from him since. I don't know if he's even still alive at this point. But, uh, yeah, I think Poland does have enough to get past Mexico because, again, I don't think Mexican squad's very great. And then Saudi Arabia, we already know. Argentina, like, just name a few players off the top of my head. We got Messi. Dybala, I don't know how much he'll play, but he doesn't really perform that well for Argentina. They've made a couple late substitutions. They had uh, Correa just left, and... Um, Gonzalez just left due to injuries. So, yeah, they've got it, – it's – Argentina will be fine. you got Messi, Lerato Martinez, Lissandra Martinez. Then you've got uh, Christian Romero, Nicolas Romani's experience. you got Emiliano Martinez, the most solid goalkeeper they've had at the national team set up for a while. Like the first one that's actually started for club level and is going into World Cup. I think the last three – like, Sergio Romero wasn't starting when he went in 2014. He was back up at Monaco or Sampdoria. I don't remember which one. And then Willie Caballero wasn't starting for Man City when he went over in 2018. So now you've got actually, you know, an experienced guy, Rodrigo DePaul. you got Lissandro Mar- uh, uh, Leandro Paredes in midfield. Angel Di Maria. You've got um, Julian Alvarez. Like, you've got a lot of options here. It's not like it's just Messi, which is very nice. They're, this is one of the more well-balanced Argentinian teams that they've had in a while. I think this team is better than the one that we saw go to the final in 2014. There's a lot less questions defensively on this team than there was in that team. Like Christian Romero, Lissandra Martinez, I don't know if they'll start together because obviously Nicolas, Nicolas Otamendi would have a, what do you call it, seniority over those guys. But having a solid option in net that has been consistently playing is massive. So we're going to go Argentina going through. Group D, I'm going to go I'm gonna go a little tricky here. I'm going to go a little tricky here. I'm going to go Denmark winning this group. And the reason I'm saying that, and I know I said I love France's squad, and I do, but I feel like the more and more I think of it, I don't think they'll miss out on the knockout stage. I refuse to believe France will miss out on the knockout stages. But there just seems to be something off with teams that come back to the World Cup after winning it and failing to make it out of the group or having some sort of struggles. With the French national team, it's not odd for the French national team to have a lot of infighting, similar to what we said about the Dutch national team. And there's been a lot of infighting in this tournament for France as well. Hugo Lloris is not the same goalie that was there in 2018 when they won the World Cup. They don't have N'Golo Conte. They don't have Paul Pogba. Their squad's still very good. 
But starting Adrian Rabio kind of scares me. It kind of scares me. And they've had a couple players moose out. They just had a Christopher Nkuku just draw, withdraw from the squad due to injury, which is a massive blow to them. Antoine Griezmann's not the same player he was in 2018, at least in form-wise. Obviously, you got Kareem Benzema, Kylian Mbappe, so they're not going to come in last in the group or anything or miss out in the group stage. Like, you still got players playing at their best right now. Like, when Germany lost in 2014 or 2018, when they came in to finish second to last or last in the group, I don't remember. They lost to Korea, and then um, Sweden won the group. Mexico came second. I think South Korea came third because they scored two late goals against Germany to see them out of the group. They Germany didn't have any players that were like, oh, this is like up top especially. Their striking options were not very great at that tournament, and the defense was getting older. Like They have some solid pieces still. They're still a relatively young squad. Like If I looked right now, how many players are over the age of 30? So you got three strikers or three forwards, and then uh, Mandanda and Lloris. So you got five players over the age of 30, and realistically only four of those players are actually going to play in this tournament. So you've got a relatively young squad. The midfield kind of makes me a little nervous, but I think they've got enough to come out of the group. And I think Denmark, what we saw in uh, in the Euros, there's a really togetherness about the squad. And that we've talked about before. But with France, with the infighting, with the, some of the injuries they've had, they've had a lot of injuries recently. I like what the, I think Denmark can pounce on that. There's a very solid spine here in this team. you got Kasper Schmeichel. Obviously, he's playing over at Nice. Don't know what he's doing over there, if I'm being honest. Absolutely no idea. Yeah, Joachim Anderson over there in Crystal Palace. You got Simeon Kiar, center back and captain. Andreas Christensen, obviously, for Barcelona. Rasmus Christensen over at Leeds United. Uh, Daniel Voss for Bronby, who was over with Valencia for a little bit, I believe. Then in midfield, you obviously got Christian Derrickson, Thomas Delaney over in Sevilla. Pierre-Emil Hoiberg for Tottenham. You got Martin Braithwaite, who's still kicking. He's over in, Bar- in Espanyol. Still in Barcelona, but with Espanyol. Then you got Casper Dolberg. Like, their striking options are a little scarier than what you'd want, but I again, I just think, like, Josef Polson is a very solid player. He's not necessarily a natural goal scorer. He's more of the the false nine or T- Carlos Tevez striker role, if you if you get, if you you get catch my drift. But, um, yeah, I, I like Denmark. I do like Denmark. And then Tunisia and Australia, I really don't see a world where either one of these teams pass France. So that, that we're going to stick them in either – like, oh, this is the other team. They had four goals. They're bringing four goals as well. Like Hannibal Mejri for Manchester United is on loan at Birmingham City right now. You've got Wahib Kazri Cabri- over from Montpellier. Probably their best player if you had to pick one. Is anybody else that really sticks out? Because Australia's squad kind of stinks too. Both these squads aren't very good. Like Tunisia is not a very good World Cup team. But Australia, I mean, you got Matthew Ryan and Nett, experienced goaltender for you. You got Matthew Leckie, who's been to a couple World Cups for them. Aaron Moy. They didn't bring Tom Rogic, which was uh, apparently there was some beef with him and the manager, which is pretty pretty interesting because he's one of their best players. Harry Sutar for Stoke City. He's a monster center back. Uh, anybody, like, I don't know. I'm going to probably go with Tunisia finishing above Australia. I just don't like Australia's team. And then Group E... This one's interesting. I think we'll start off with uh, fourth and third. I think Costa Rica will come third, Japan last. It's not really anything about Japan. I like Japan's, like, normally they play really decently in these World Cups. But Costa Rica, they're just a tough team. They've got a lot of experience in the squad. Like, the players that played in 2014 are still kicking it here. Like, Kaylor Navas, Brian Rees, Sol Campbell, or Sol Campbell, (laughs) Joel Campbell, are all still kicking it with Costa Rica. 
So I think they're going to bring that there. Then the Spain versus Germany is a very interesting one because I'm leaning a little bit towards Spain with the youthfulness of this team. I just really like Spain. I like Luis Enrique. The problem is the goalkeeping situation is a little bit more... I don't want to say, like, you know who's starting for Spain, but Unai Simón, when you're a natural ball-playing goalkeeper, you're going to try and take more risks. And there's been situations where Simón has been caught out and has been taken advantage of where he's, you know, he's just, yeah, he's just been caught out. I don't really know how other way to say that. And they play two left-footed center backs, which always makes me a little queasy. You can play two right-footed center backs, but two left-footed center backs, it, it, it looks kind of odd. Looks kind of odd. Pau Torres and Americ Laporte are the two center backs there. Eric Garcia will probably play a little bit in center back as well. I don't know what they're going to do at the fullback spots. Obviously, Danny Carvajal. Carvajal is still there from at Real Madrid. Cesar Azpilicueta is still there. You got Jose Gaia and Jordi Alba at the left back. Midfield, I mean, they might play Marcus Llorente at right back because that's where he's played in the past for Spain. So you might be seeing him at right back. But then you've got Sergio Busquets, Coque, Gavi, Rodri, Carlos Soler, and Pedri. Pedri, it's weird seeing Pedri not wear number 10. I thought that was his number for Spain now. I guess not. Marco Asensio took that number, I guess, which is very odd. But (laughs) but you got Alvaro Morata, Marco Asensio, Fernand Torres, Nico Williams, uh, Jeremy Pino, Danny Olmo, Pablo Sarabia, and then Ansu Fati. Now, Alvaro Morata is not necessarily the greatest striker of all time, but he's solid when it comes to playing for Spain. Like, he scored 27 goals in 57 games. He always plays well for Spain. Fernand Torres can also play as a striker if need be. He'll play on either wing. Danny Olmo will probably occupy the other wing spot, at least at the start of the tournament. That'll probably be Spain's starting lineup, at least in the front three with uh, Torres, Olmo, and Morata. Midfield, I mean, Sergio Busquets is the captain, but I don't really see him playing until the last game of the group game of the tournament. I think Rodri is better right now than Sergio Busquets is, and I don't want to discredit Sergio Busquets. He's one of the greatest defensive midfielders of all time. But Rodri, I think, is the better option there. Obviously, Pedri's going to start, and you might see like Gavi play, coming off the bench. Koke will probably start there. If I had to pick, Marcus Lorente depends on if they play him at right back or not. And then the, your back line will probably read Jordi Alba. Laporte or Torres, don't know which one's going to play on the left, which one on the right. And then probably Marcus Llorente at right back and then Umay Simon in net. And then Germany, they're a little interesting because uh, they're they're just a weird, they're a weird team. They're a very interesting team. They have a lot of very solid players. Like Manuel Neuer's still kicking it there. Antonio Rudiger's a baller. Like they've got a lot of really good with Joshua Kimmich. Kai Havertz is probably going to be the striker since Timo Werner opted out of the World Cup due to injury. But their other striking options apart from him are not – they're not great. They're not great. Like I don't know who the other options are going to be up top for Germany. Obviously, Thomas Muller's still there. you got Leroy Sané. Serge Gnabry's still kicking it there. Ilkay Gundogan's still there. Jamal Malasia. Musiala is still there. Mario Goetz is back in the squad. Leon Goretzka. Like, Germany normally runs a 4-2-3-1. I don't know what they're going to run at the tournament. I don't know if they're going to run with a false niner. Well, they're going to have a run with a false nine. Kai Havertz will be the striker there, but I don't know if they'll go with a back five or something like that and have, like, a back five consisting of, like, Rudiger, Nicholas Sula, and who would be the other? I think that might just be their center back partnership. Yeah, I mean, they've got a lot of experience in this team, but I'm going to probably go with Spain winning it. I like Luis Enrique. I think Spain can win that group. And then Group F, I'm not a massive fan of uh, of this group. Cause I, I, you already know, if you listen to the show long enough, you know I'm not a massive fan of Belgium's squad. Like, their squad's just not very good. You got a couple, like, like head-turners with, like, Thibaut Courtois and Kevin De Bruyne. But other than that, it's not great. 
you've got you're still bringing Alderweireld there. You're still bringing Vertonghen there. Like you're still bringing these guys. Like, a combined age is 68 years old. Like they're old. Like Timothy Castagna is fine. Thomas Mounier hadn't really done anything since he transferred over to Borussia Dortmund. And even moving to the midfield, Axel Witzel's been playing a lot of center back for Atletico Madrid this year. Yuri Tielemans is fine. Yannick Carrasco, I guess, is still kicking it. Leander Dendonker's nothing special. Up top, Lukaku and Hazard haven't been in form in years. Dries Mertens is just old now. He's 35 years old. Torgan Hazard, again, we said this last time, that this is the closest that he's been to Eden Hazard in regards to skill level, and Eden Hazard hasn't been in form a while. Leandro Trussard's been playing well for Brighton. Mishi Bashuai shows up for Belgium. That's pretty much it. And Jeremy Doku is a fine, fine young winger for them, plays over in Rennes, plays over in France for Rennes, but they'll win the group. I really don't have a problem with them winning the group. And then coming in second, Croatia's an interesting one because they're just old. They still have a lot of quality in this team. They have some question around the goalkeeping spot, but they're just older. Got a lot of old, experienced players in here, like Dejan Lovren's still in the squad. You got uh, Vita is still in the squad. You've got Modric in the squad still. You've got Perisic in the squad. Like, you've got a lot of very experienced players, which can be good. I mean, you just went to the World Cup final. You just played You just played France in the World Cup final. So, obviously, experience is good. And you got some young players as well, like Kovacic, 28 years old, younger player. Uh, Brozovic is only 30 years old. Vlasic is 25. Like, Polisic, or, jeez, Posilek, jeez, I'm not even going to try, I'm sorry. He's playing well right now. You got Andre Kramaric. At striker, you don't have that Mario Mandzukic figure. So Kramerich will probably be leading the line for Croatia. Uh, you got Borna Souza over there at left back. You guys got a you've got a experienced older team that uh I just have I'm questioning. But Canada, they're an interesting team as well. This is the best team they've ever brought to World Cups. They don't really go to a lot of World Cups. Questioning goal. You got Milan Brojan in net. Dane St. Clair's there as well from Minnesota United. In regards to the rest of the team, like obviously you got Calfonso Davies. I think up top they're very talented with Kyle Lahren and uh, Jonathan David. They're from very good form. They always play well for Canada. Like Jonathan David's got 22 goals and 35 appearances for Canada. Very nice. Jonathan Osario is a solid player. Stefan Eustachio, very creative midfielder. Atiba Hutchinson's back as the captain. Martin Anthony Kay, very solid player. You look at the defense, that's where you get a little scary. That's where you get a little scary. Like uh, Toyon Buchanan. Very good player. A junior Hoylet still on the team. Lucas Cavallini still there. Like up top, they're fine. It's as you start working back up the field is where you get a little bit, a little bit more of a, a little more concerned. And then we got Morocco. They've got some solid players as well. You got Atraf Hakimi there. You got Roman Saiz there as well. You got Hakim Ziyech. You brought him back out of retirement to come play in this tournament, which is what you needed. You needed that. You needed him in this squad because he's your most creative player by far. Goalie's a question mark as well. Kind of. I, I take that back. Yassine Bono has been playing well for Sevilla. So I take I kind of take that back. I take that back. So they got some less questions in goal than I originally expected. But there's some... I think Belgium will win. I think Belgium will win and get bounced in the next round. Um, Again, I, Canada's really good going forward. They're very good going forward. Defensively, they scare me. I think the rest of the countries there are better going... But that... In these types of tournaments, you need goals. And Canada has that. They have more goals in their front two than the other countries do. By quite a wide margin as well, combined. Let's see what the experts are saying. Let's see what some of the experts are saying. Because I need I need I need some guidance. I need some oh, bleach report. They always give me they always have good guidance. I don't need the winner. I want everything. 
I want everything. You know what? I'm, I'm not reading. I don't want to read Bleach Report. <laughs> I'll go with Canada. I think the goals that they have are very good, so I'm going to go with Canada. Coming in third, Croatia second. And they, they haven't been in this tournament. They This is a young squad. Again, like we talked about the United States, the youthfulness will bring through will breathe through there. Uh, then we got Group G. I'm going to go with Brazil, Switzerland, Serbia, and then Cameroon. Brazil's obviously going to – if Brazil doesn't win this group, I'd be absolutely shocked. And Switzerland, they've got a very solid unit. Jens Sommer always plays well in these big-time tournaments, another team that brought four, goal, four goalkeepers. Solid at the back, Manuel and Kanji. You got Ricardo Rodriguez still there, Fabian Schar for Newcastle United, uh, Nico Aveldi for Borussia Mönchengladbach. Midfield, you got Dennis Zachariah, Granit Xhaka is playing very, very well for uh, for Arsenal right now, playing in the number eight role. Zirdan Shakiri still kicking around the team, and up top like Brulam Bolo, Harris Safarovic. Not, I mean, not great options going for Ruben Vargas, but they're a very solid team. They always tend to do decent at these types of tournaments. I don't know how far they'll get, but they used they tend to play pretty decent. And then uh, we got Serbia next on this group. Some goalie questions. Some goalie questions more than what we had with, <laughs> with Morocco. But Alexander Mitrovic, Luka, uh, Luka Jovic, Dusan Vlahovic are really, really good options going forward. Dusan Tadic is a baller in midfield. He's the captain of his team. Uh, Nemanja Gulic, I think I said his name right. I apologize if I didn't. Sergei Milinkovic Savic is a baller. Like, you've got really good Marko Gruzic. Is, I, he, went to, he was at Liverpool, right? This is the guy from Liverpool? Yes, it is. Wow. Wow. <laughs> But I think that I think they can come in second in Cameroon. There's not this is not a lot of expectations around this team right now. Andre Onana and Net, very solid option at back. Look at the rest of the squad. Frank Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa is a solid option in midfield. Vincent Abubakar, solid player. George Kevin and Kudu is still solid. Eric Maxime Chupa Moting. Chupa Moting's have played well for Bayern Munich recently. But yeah, I think they're gonna come in last. I think if I had to guess, I think they're coming in last. Because I think Serbia and Switzerland have enough st- talent on their squad to finish above them. And then Group H, I think it will go Portugal, Uruguay, Ghana, and South Korea. We already know about Portugal. In regards to Uruguay, kind of like the teams we talked about earlier, a lot of experience. You got Fernando Muslera, Muslera net, 133 caps for him. Diego Godin still kicking in the national team. Marco Cáceres is still kicking it. Jose Jimenez has been there, done that before. Then you obviously got Luis Suarez. You got Edson Cavani. Like you've got a lot of experienced players on this team, and then you've got some youthfulness. Like Darwin Nunes has been kicking off really recently. Facundo Pellistri is somehow in the squad. Don't know how he managed to do that. Hasn't played for Manchester United this season. Uh, Federico Valverde in midfield. Lucas Torreira, uh, Rodrigo Bentancur for Tottenham. And you just got some solid, solid pieces in this group. They always play tough in these tournaments. They're always a tough team to beat. And that game against Ghana, that last game of the group will be interesting because obviously Luis Suarez and Uruguay knocked out. Gone in the 2010 World Cup with Luis Suarez's handball, and Asmo Gian missed the penalty. That would have saw them go through to the semifinals. Question around the goalkeeping spot, but they've got a solid group of players like Tariq Lamptey, solid player at right back. Mohamed Salisu for Southampton, solid player. Baba Rahman is still kicking it. <laughs> Played for Chelsea. Is he still technically linked? Is he still on Chelsea? He's still on Chelsea. He signed for Chelsea in 2015. He's still there. Uh, Daniel Armardi plays for Leicester City, center back midfield hybrid there. Thomas Party's probably the best player on this team. You got the IU brothers, Andre and Jordan. What other players? We, uh, Enochi Williams, who just never gets hurt, still playing there. For you got his brother Nico Williams playing over in uh, over for Spain, and Enochi just made the move to to Ghana this year, I believe. But yeah, solid team. 
solid team. It's no disrespect to them coming in second or coming in third, but I just think Uruguay's got a better team. And South Korea, Sung Hyung Min is supposed to be playing in this tournament, which is very big. He's going to be captaining the squad this tournament. I, I would have been really surprised had he ended up missing out in this game. Huang Hee Chen for Wolverhampton's playing in this tournament as well. Solid option going forward. They don't really have a ton of striking options, but uh, Huang Hee Chang will be their, I would, I would guess, their main number nine going into this tournament. I think. I think. I could be wrong about that. But, yeah, that's how I think the groups will go. If I had to change it, that Germany-Spain one's interesting. Uh, crap. Um, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do Germany-Spain because I like Spain a lot. But I think with Neuer... Okay. Um, I'm You know what? I'm going to change it. I'm going to go Germany over Spain. I'm going to go Germany over Spain. So my groups at this point... I think we're gonna. St I think I'm gonna keep Senegal there, for now. That might change later. But I, I do, I do think they got a pretty solid squad. I think they got a pretty solid squad. But I think the the back of Senegal will be through. So I've got Netherlands, Senegal, Qatar, Ecuador. Group B: England, USA, Wales, Iran. Group C: Argentina, Poland, Mexico, and Saudi Arabia. Group D: Denmark, France, Tunisia, and Australia. Group E, Germany, Spain, Costa Rica, and Japan. Group F, Belgium, Croatia, Canada, and Morocco. And Group G, Brazil, Switzerland, Serbia, and Cameroon. And then Group H, we've got Portugal, Uruguay, Ghana, and then uh, we got South Korea. Bring up the Rio. Uh, yeah. Starting off with the first game, we got the Netherlands taking on the United States. I don't think the Netherlands, or <laughs> I don't think the United States will be able to beat the Netherlands. I know they beat them at Amsterdam Arena or Johan Cruyff Arena now a few years ago with John Brooks scoring a goal. I think Bobby Wood scored a goal as well. Memphis Depay was there for for the Netherlands. But I don't I don't think we're getting that here. I really don't think we're getting that here. I think it'll be a close game, maybe two to one, but which is just a common theme for the United States knockout games, at least it's late. You had two one against Belgium, you had two one against Ghana. Now I got two one against the Netherlands. Group C, this is the unfortunate one. We have a matchup, rematch of what happened in 2018 in the first round of the knockout stage, France and Argentina, and I think Argentina gets their revenge against France. I think Argentina will get their 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 revenge in this game. Then we got Germany taking on Costa Rica. Uh, I or Costa Rica, Croatia. Sorry about that. Again, I think with Germany, I think having Manuel Neuer and Nets a big thing here. I think having a back line that's very solid. I know they're a weird team. But having that solid spines in port, I know they don't have a lot of options going forward, but they really didn't have that in 2014. I don't know if you had Marisov Klosa, but he was getting older. You didn't have a natural number nine. Kai Havertz is going to be that again this tournament. Like, Mario Goetze started as a striker for more, more games than nine, I believe, in Germany in 2014. So we're probably going to see that here. Timo Werner, I think his speed would have been big, big here, but he wasn't really, really going to provide a ton of goal-scoring threat. But I think they have a lot of skill around this team that I think they can end up beating... Croatia in this tournament. Uh, group The next one, Brazil versus Uruguay. This is going to be a fun one. That'd be a very fun matchup, but I think Brazil will win. England versus Senegal. Uh, we're going to go with England beating Senegal in that game. Denmark-Poland. Jeez, uh, what a game that one would be. Denmark and Poland. We got Argentina and France, and then Denmark and Poland. That'd be a fun one. Uh, I think Denmark can win that one there. Spain-Belgium. I'm going to pick the Spaniards to take home to beat the Belgians in this one. Then Portugal, Switzerland, I'm going to go with Portugal. So the only team that did not win their group that we have winning this in their in their first matchup is Spain beating Belgium. Uh, next one, we've got Netherlands taking on Argentina. I think Argentina's got that one. Brazil, Germany, I think Brazil's got it. 
England taking on Denmark, I think, could be a very interesting matchup, but I think England can pull through on that one, and I think Portugal will beat Spain. And that last one, that's the, the uh, what is it, Iberian Peninsula? Is that what it's called? Hold on. Iber- Iberian Peninsula? Oh, let's go. Battle for the Iberian Peninsula. Let's freaking go. So, yeah, we're going to have uh, Portugal beating Spain there. And then we have a World Cup semifinal of England, Portugal, Argentina, and Brazil. And I think it will be Argentina and Brazil. And I think Argentina will come on top. And I think Brazil won the third place game. I'm not confident in that. Like, having England go that far kind of scares me because of the question marks again around their defense. But I think just given how everything's shaped out, like, if England realistically, I think England's got a solid enough squad to make it this far if this is how it works out. I think they can beat Senegal, and I think they can beat Denmark. Now, if France plays them there, then we have a completely different story. I don't think England gets past France. But since we have France losing the group out to Denmark and by default facing France, it's kind of a similar situation to what we had in 2018 where England didn't have to play Germany. They played Sweden, which is not what a lot of people expected going into that tournament. Like, you go in thinking, like, oh, England's going to get matched up against Germany. No, Sweden wins the group. And then that completely throws everything off. And now England's got a relatively easy path to the final. And they go to the semifinal. I think that's a similar situation here. Like, Senegal and Denmark, no disrespect to them. I think they have solid squads. But I think England should be able to beat both of them. I think they have enough talent in that squad, despite their question marks defensively. I think they've got enough talent to be able to see themselves through there if that uh, if this is how it plays out. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if England did get shelled in like the second round. I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Now, the United States, Wales, or Iran could really throw a wrench into everything by beating England out for the group, which is what happened in 2010, where the United States ended up winning the group over England in a quote-unquote easy group. But I think that's how I'm going to predict the 2022 FIFA World Cup. And I hope that meets your, your requirements. I think I did a pretty solid job. I think I did a solid job predicting this World Cup. I, at least I I hope I did. If I had to, like, if I was saying any surprises, I don't think, I wouldn't be surprised if England lost early. I wouldn't be surprised if France won the group. I'm kind of surprised myself that I ended up going with Denmark, given what we talked about the other day. But I think Denmark's togetherness and France's infighting and injuries, I think that could be a big factor in this and France coming in second in the group. But that's unfortunate for France. But that's how I'm seeing it right now. I want I this is the final that would break the internet. Ronaldo versus Messi for the 2022 World Cup final. I already think the goat status, the goat debate's over. I think it's been over for a while now. Obviously Messi over Ronaldo, but like I don't know. Portugal's got a very solid squad. Portugal's got a very, very, very good squad. And this tournament was built to have Messi and Ronaldo face off in the 2022 World Cup final. I I am willing to bet my bottom dollar that this was done on purpose so this could be a possible matchup. Whether it happens or not, it's a totally different story, but the fact that it's a possible matchup, maybe Uruguay maybe Uruguay beats uh, Portugal out for the group, and we don't get to see the final, but we might be able to see Portugal versus Argentina in the knockout stage before the final, in the, th- in the semifinals or something. I doubt that will happen. I think Portugal's got too much talent on this squad. Like, we didn't read out Portugal squad. We talked about a few players in this team, but, like, just you got Ronaldo still there. Obviously not the same player he was. I think he needs to come to the realization of that. Um, but, like, Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes, uh, Ruben Diaz, Jao Cancelo, Rui Patrício is a solid option. You got Diogo Costa backup, and Jao, uh, Jose Saw is a very solid option as well. 
You've got um, Ruben Neves. I don't know if we said him. Zhao Felix, Rafael Liao. Uh, Andre Silva's still there. I'm trying to just think of players off the top of my head. I'm trying to be impressive here. I'm trying to be impressive. What other? They got Danilo Pereira in defense as well. He can also play center midfield if need be. You've got William Carvalho. Uh, Zhao Palena is still kicking, or still, he's just now starting to kick it. But Portugal's got too much talent, and, the, and that squad did not miss it, to not make it through. There are some key games that I'm looking forward to in each group. Obviously, United States versus England is going to be the big one. But if the United States can get a result against Wales, their number, their chance of going to the knockout stage increased drastically because I really don't see England. I think England would probably beat Iran two nothing. I think they might struggle a little bit. I think the United States could apply some pressure there against England like they did in 2010. The United States squad's better than what it was in 2010. The England squad. I think they really missed out on some opportunities with that England squad without those groups of players. Like they had an elite group of players. I think you had more top level players on that squad. I think this squad for England's more um deep. Like you have Rooney, Lampard, Gerrard, uh Ashley Cole. Who else was on that team? John Terry. I don't know if Rio was in 20 2010 or not. Cuz I think like Michael Dawson was there or something. Who else would have been there for England? Just, it doesn't it, – regardless, the, like if you look at just main star players, the star players on that team I think are better than the star players on this team, but I think this England team's deeper. I think the togetherness of this team is different from the one in 2010 because you've heard like Lampard and Gerrard and Rooney talk about this where the, the fact that you're playing with your rivals like Manchester United versus Liverpool, you don't want to hang out with them. You hate them. That, that mentality is completely gone, and this England team's a lot to, more together because in reality, you've got 2018 squad. That squad was not better than – was not a semifinal squad. You're starting Ashley Young, Ashley Young at left wing back. You started Jesse Lingard. Like, this is the, the team that England had. Jordan Pickford was making his first real appearances for England at that time. It was between him and Jack Butland. Jack Butland, I think, is the back of a Crystal Palace now. Like, that dude's nowhere to be found. This team's better than 2018, and this team's better than 2010, but I think the Stars are, I think they just missed out some opportunities with those teams. But that's our World Cup predictions. I hope they they uh, meet your high expectations. I do hope they meet your high expectations, but yeah. Now, we're going to move on here, moving on from soccer to the NFL, and obviously we have the Buffalo Bills. They are moving their game against the, the Cleveland Browns to... Detroit, Michigan. And my dad's sister and I, this was the game we were going to go to. My dad's sister and I were going to go to this game. And I'm, I don't know if you want to call me a weirdo. I don't know if you want to call me cool or on on edge or something like that. I don't know. But I've always wanted to go to a major snow game. I've never been to a snow game. I've been to some freezing cold games, but nothing like, oh, the white powder is just everywhere. Look at that. Look at all the snow. Look at all of that. Like, Iowa-Nebraska, when I was a kid, we sat in the end zone, got pelted in the face with wind. It was freaking miserable. But it was no snow. It was like mixture. It was like sleet, essentially. It sucked. And it was raining during the Bills-Eagles game a few years ago. I've never sat through a snow game. And when we went in 2017, our first game in Buffalo was 2017. It was Bills-Patriots. It was like 60 degrees out that week. 50 to 60 degrees. Next week was the Colts game. Next week was the Colts game, the, the Blizzard game. I was like, man, that'd be kind of fun to go to. And then we're sitting there watching that, and you're like, man, I kind of want to go. 
And then there was the possibility of snow going to this week. My dad and I were talking last week. It was like, oh, there's a possibility of snow. Oh, yes. I want a snow game. I want to go to a snow game so bad. Yes, this is awesome. And then as we get closer to the game, oh, we're talking about three to six, not inches, feet of snow and the possibility of moving to Detroit. They are saying that traffic will be immovable going to Buffalo off I-90, which is conveniently the route we will be taking because it goes right underneath Lake Erie. Apparently, when the lake gets to 55 degrees, lake effect snow craps all over Buffalo. And it was going to be insane. Like, players aren't even, there's some players aren't even six foot tall on this team. Like, Devin Singletary's 5'7. Nick Chubb's not even six foot. Stephon Diggs is six foot. So, it would have been absolutely insane. So, they have moved the game to Detroit. They played a game in Detroit a few years ago against the Jets. And what sucks is that this is a Bills home game now. But maybe. This gives the Bills an upper hand on Thanksgiving, which they really should, again, have no issues beating the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving. If they have problems beating the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving, we have bigger problems at hand than them not having a game at home, really at home this week against the Cleveland Browns. We've got some problems here. Now, apparently there's a carnival going on in Detroit in Ford Field on Friday. So they're going to have to dismantle all of that and get the field ready to go before the game starts on Sunday. So we'll see how that one goes, but... The turf stinks there. It's the same turf that the New Orleans Saints have, and that's the same turf that uh, Trey White tore his ACL on. So we'll see if he actually gets to play this week. But, yeah, that game in Detroit, in Detroit now. Shame. Shame. I, I would really – I wanted to go to that game really bad, but my dad and I were talking about last night. I was really not, like, I want to go to this game so bad. I do, but for safety reasons, nah, 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 nah. Probably smart not to go to this game. So we've got some NFL games. We're going to breeze through the NFL section real quick. Just hope the Bills can play better than what they did last week, the past couple weeks. Obviously, they didn't play terrible against the Vikings, but they just made some stupid mistakes and turned the ball over in key situations and essentially just handed the game to the Minnesota Vikings. Now, there's obviously things that the Vikings fans would say, oh, the Bills did this, like the 12 men on the field, Dave Davis didn't catch it. So there's all these different things. It's not game of the season Bills lost against. They need to rectify some things. And end this losing streak. They're on a two-game losing streak. Need to beat the Browns. So we got Snowmageddon, obviously. So that that's the name of this game, Snowmageddon. You got the going to Detroit because of all the snow. Thunder Snow. I saw Thunder Snow on Twitter today describing this game. This is Thunder Snow, which is my old Twitter name. I think we've, t- we've talked about this on the show. We've had to talk about it on the show before. My old Twitter name was Thunder Snow 811. Thunder Snow 811. I think Aaron White was called that at like a Cleveland Guardians game when they were called the Indians. He was throwing out the first pitch or something. They had Thunderstone on the board, and I was like, that's a funny name. So I had that one because I'm a, I'm super white. I'm super white. I am uh, offensively white. So I was of the mindset like, oh, that'd be a funny Twitter name. But once you start getting recruited by colleges and stuff, and they're tweeting at you, and you see Thundersnow811 and these these teams' Twitter things, like, no, nah, I'm going to change it. So I got Logan underscore Blackman. Don't know how I scored that one. But, um, yeah, so Thundersnow is what we're going to call this one. Then we got the Bears and Falcons. Ugh, what a gross game. What a gross, gross, gross game. Battle of the mobile quarterbacks. You got Mariota taking on Justin Fields. Could be fun. Could be fun. Eagles-Colts. The Nick Sirianni Bowl. It was going to be the Frank Reich Bowl because... He came from Philly to Indianapolis, but Nick Sirianni came from Indy to Philly. So the Nick Sirianni Bowl or, um, yeah, just Nick Sirianni Bowl. Jets, Patriots, the Bill Belichick Bowl. It goes without saying. 
Saints-Rams, the clearly pass interference called that was not called in the playoff game, which saw the Rams go to the Super Bowl. That game, that's what we're going to call this one here. Don't know if John Wofford's going to play or not, but it'd be kind of funny to see him go up against Andy Dalton. Lions and Giants. I think we've done this one before, but it's we're going to change it up a little bit. Lions, Giants, and Bears. Does that still flow? Lions, Giants, and Bears? It flows. It works. It works. So we're going with that one. We got the Panthers and the and the Ravens. Um, what is what is a good name for the Panthers and Ravens game? Because the Panthers stink, and the Ravens do not. The Ravens are coming off a bye week. So you would think the Ravens would be able to handle business against the Carolina Panthers. Oh, crap. Um, 13-point favorites. I don't care, Bull. I really don't care. <laughs> uh, Commanders versus the Texans. Controversial owner, Bull. We obviously got Dan Sanders. He's on a different level than the Texans owner, but there's a lot of weird things going down in Houston as well. Not like as bad as Washington, but just some weird things. Some weird things. Raiders in the Broncos with Josh McDaniels Bull. Who hates Josh McDaniels more? Bull. That's what this game's called. Cowboys and Vikings, we can call it the Herschel Walker trade bull. We can call it the first ever Hail Mary bull. Both things that benefited the Cowboys and screwed the Vikings over. Obviously, the first Hail Mary was uh, Roger Staubach to, oh, crap, Drew Pearson. And Roger Staubach said, he just threw the ball and said, Hail Mary. Wasn't the play call. Now that's what everybody knows it as, Hail Mary. And we got the Bengals and the Steelers, the Vontez perfect Antonio Brown Bowl, or the Carson Palmer tore his ACL and let the John Kitten had to play the playoff game when the Steelers beat the Seahawks in the Super Bowl Bowl, or whatever. Cardinals and 49ers will be the bowl game name for the Cardinals until he gets fired. The Cliff Kingsbury possibly gets fired Bowl. The final straw that broke the Camel's back Bowl. Beat them, 49ers, and the Titans Packers. I'm going to watch it tonight, and I am not looking forward to it. I just don't want to watch this game. Two unwatchable teams. Titans are so unwatchable. I hate watching the Titans. I like Derrick Henry, but good God, they're such a boring team to watch. The worst 6-3 and three team ever. How the hell did that team get the number one seed in the AFC last year? That's how I want to know, because they beat the Bills. I understand. That was more of a rhetorical question. But, yeah, oh, God. The Go Pack Go Bowl, because I just don't want the Titans to win. I hate the Titans. Absolutely hate them. Not even just because they're unwatchable. I just don't like Mike Vrabel. I don't like their defense. I like Kevin Byard, and I like Derrick Henry. That's about it. I like Malik Willis. That's about it. Everyone else can go screw themselves. Everybody else, bye. So those are your bowl game names for the NFL this week. And then now, of course, we've got to get to our sponsored segment, the Tom McAllister-sponsored picks of the week. He's been on my ass for the better part of two days getting these things done. And I just haven't gotten it done because we do it while we record a show. It's Thursday right now, Tom. I'm doing it now. So you can listen to the show and go, oh, Logan's doing it at 541. Why can't I zoom in? Why is this being a pain in the ass? There we go, finally. Okay. So first game of the week, we have got the Florida State Seminoles taking on the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns, the Ragin' Cajuns. Now, Louisiana's typically a very solid outfit. Typically a very solid outfit. They're coming off, uh, they've won one game in the last three games. Florida State's won three of the last three games. Very impressive. 24 points is the spread. 
Um, beat Syracuse by 24. Beat Miami by 24. Beat Clemson, Georgia Tech by 24. Do all those teams beat Louisville or Louisiana? Probably. Now, Louisiana doesn't have a decent defense, but they have no... You know what? We're going to take Florida State. We're going to take the Seminoles. Take the Seminoles in that one. We got Pittsburgh taking on the Duke Blue Devils. I like Pitt. I like Keen Slobus to a certain extent. I don't love him like I used to. Duke, obviously, has won their last three games. They had that impressive win against Miami a few weeks ago. They beat Virginia Tech last week. Both teams beat the state of Virginia last week. Pitt beat Virginia. Duke beat Virginia Tech. Both teams can score. Seven and a half is the line. Riley Leonard hasn't played that bad this year either, which is kind of uh, impressive. We're going to go with Duke or Purdue or, jeez, Pitt. Pitt. We're going to go with Pitt. I, I can't, we can't have the Devils winning. That is bad. That is bad juju right there. Nebraska taking on Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a third, a ten and a half point favorite against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Yeah, we're going with Wisconsin. Go Wisconsin. Can't have Nebraska winning. Can't have Nebraska winning. So we're going with Wisconsin. We got Michigan taking on Illinois. With how Illinois has been playing recently, I wouldn't be really surprised by anything. Michigan is an eighteen point favorite. Um, eighteen is a lot. You know what? I'm gonna pick Illinois to cover. I think defensively they're solid enough to hold Michigan back. They allow 85 rushing yards a game. So it's they've got a very solid defense. Michigan can score with the best of them. But I think Illinois will have a solid enough defensive game plan to beat them. Or not beat the not beat them, but uh to hold them back to a certain extent. Not beat them, not beat them. And then we've got Baylor taking on TCU. I mean, we've been on this train for a while now and it has not failed us yet. Max Duggan, we're going with the state of Iowa beating Baylor this weekend. They're already in the Big 12 championship game. I know Baylor's a solid football team, but I'm just going to go with Max Duggan. They're three-point favorites. It's not like it's massive or anything. Or two-and-a-half-point favorites. It's not like it's a massive game or anything. Like, where I'm expecting TCU to blow them out. If, I, if they were projected to blow them out, then I'd be a little bit um, feel a little bit different about that. But now they're not. So, we got West Virginia taking on Kansas State. Um... We'll go Kansas State. We'll go Kansas State. Just a gut feeling sometimes. Sometimes just a gut feeling. Go back. There we go. Washington State, Arizona. This one's gonna be fun. This is actually gonna be a really fun game. I if you have not watched a Pac twelve game this year, uh I mean Pac twelve game against teams that are not very good, I would watch this game. Yeah, Cameron Ward taking on Jaden Delura. That's gonna be a fun matchup. Arizona won their last game, which is impressive. They beat UCLA. Very impressive win. Um, Washington State's coming off two straight wins. They beat Arizona State and Stanford. They had a really close matchup against Utah and Oregon State as well. It's at Arizona, though. Washington State's a more complete team than Arizona. Arizona allows 37 points a game. We're going to go with uh, we're gonna go Washington State. I like Cameron Ward a lot, so we'll go with Washington State. East Carolina and Houston. Do I go with my, like, hatred about East Carolina beating BYU a couple weeks ago, or do I go with my hatred of Houston blow? No, 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 no. What am I even talking about? I forgot about that. I spoke myself into that one. Can never pick Houston again for what they did against Memphis. Can never pick that. Or was that Memphis that blew that lead? Who blew the lead? Who blew the lead? Oh, it's Memphis that blew the lead against Houston. Huh. Does that change things? Does that change things? No, Houston's defense reeks. So we're gonna go with we're gonna go with East Carolina, Oregon State, Arizona State. What's the line for this one? This could be a weird line. Eight? Oh, eight? Yeah, take Oregon State. We're taking this. We're taking the the Beavers. Clemson, Miami. Miami's just not very good. Miami just stinks. Like straight up, just stinks. Nineteen though. 
I mean, Clemson did a very good job against Georgia Tech last week, or uh, against uh, Louisville last week. They covered against them. Miami played Georgia Tech last week. They had a different quarterback. And Tyler Van Dyke, I don't think, played in this game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Ja'Curry Brown played through three touchdowns in the game. But Georgia Tech's not very good. Um, uh, 19 is a freaking lot. Because Miami's defense isn't really that horrific, but they did get absolutely blown out by Duke. That's the scary part. You know what? We'll go with Clemson. We'll go with Clemson. Ohio State and Maryland. This one could be a very interesting game. This one could be a very, very interesting game because Maryland's offense could keep up maybe with Ohio State. 27 and a half is the line here. 27 and a half. Ooh, Maryland lost 30 to nothing to Penn State. We're going to pick Ohio State. We're pick Ohio State. If every if the weather cooperates, yeah, okay, it's going to be sunny. We're picking Ohio State. Texas and Kansas. I think I'm leaning towards Texas. We picked obviously picked TCU last week. They're going to be mad about the game last year that they had against Kansas where Kansas came in and beat them. I'm going to go with Texas. I picked a lot of home teams this week or favorite teams this week and it's kind of it's kind of scaring me. I don't know if I like this. It's like when you get you get a bunch of answers in a row on a test, and you're like, ooh, I just got to switch it up just for the sake of it. And that's when we got Kentucky and Georgia, so I don't think we're switching up here. I don't know what the line is for this game. Kentucky-Georgia, 22.5. That's actually a little bit less than what I was expecting. But, yeah, Kentucky just lost to Georgia, Vanderbilt. I know it's at home. I know Lexington to be a tough place to play, but we're going to go with Georgia in that one. Louisville and NC State. Louisville obviously lost to Clemson last week. They're a tough team. Louisville is a pretty tough team. NC State's a solid team. They obviously don't have their starting quarterback, Devin Leary. Um, we're gonna go. I'm gonna go with Louisville. I'm gonna go with Louisville. We're going back to back against Louisville. Minnesota and Iowa. There's rumors that Tanner Morgan is not gonna play this game. Iowa is currently a two and a half point dog. I can't remember the last time they lost to Minnesota. It ain't gonna be today. We're gonna go Iowa. Auburn, West Kentucky. What is the freaking line for that one? I hate when the SEC does this. I absolutely hate when the SEC does this. Auburn, West Kentucky, five and a half. Shows how bad Auburn is. God damn. Um, you know what? We're just gonna pick Western Kentucky. I'm just gonna pick Western Kentucky. I, no, no reasons. I just want to pick Western Kentucky in this game. Yeah. Sorry, Cadillac. I'm gonna pick them. Stanford and Cal. I'm gonna pick Stanford. I think. Man, they're just tough to watch. We'll talk about Tanner McKee here in a little bit, but they're just tough to watch. Cal's a five point favorite. We're gonna pick them. Iowa State and Texas Tech. Weird game. Very, very weird game. Three and a half points is the line here. Iowa State is the favorite. Iowa State's such an odd team. They're such an odd team. I don't know what to say about Iowa State. We're going to take them just for the state of Iowa. But they're they're such an odd, odd, odd program this year. You can say that about Iowa, too. Like, they're just... The state of Iowa, we're struggling this year. Like, you and I is good, but they're... they're can't hold on to these games. Tennessee and South Carolina should be a semi-intriguing intriguing game. Tennessee's a 22-point favorite at South Carolina. I don't think that's actually too far off. We're going to take Tennessee in that one. Oklahoma versus Okie State. Spencer Sanders played last week against, and against Iowa State. Uh, do I want to pick Okie State? They're back in the top 25 with Sanders being back. That's big. Neither team's defense are very good. Oklahoma's lost the last two. Oklahoma State obviously got blown out against Kansas and Kansas State. With it being at Oklahoma at night, I think that's a little different. 
Um, let's go with Oklahoma. Let's go with all Oklahoma. Mississippi and Auburn. I'm gonna go with Ole Miss. I don't even know what the line is. Two, yeah, Auburn's struggling right or Arkansas is playing really weird right now. Mississippi's playing really well. Syracuse Wake Forest. I'm uh, Syracuse has burned me a lot recently. That Wake Forest don't even need to look at the line. USC UCLA. Intriguing game. They're going to be wearing the red jerseys for USC. We got the baby blue jerseys for UCLA. We got two and a half of the line right here for USC versus UCLA. And I think UCLA will lose. I'm going with USC. LSU UAB. God, why does the SEC do this? This game is. My phone's acting weird. This game is a LSU versus UAB. We have got it at a 15. Well, yeah, LSU. And then we've got Oregon taking on Utah. That should be a very fun game. Bo Nix is rumored about – they don't know about his status. So far, let's Google that. Let's see if he's expected to play or not. Because that's big. He's preparing himself as he's going to play. As if he can go, head coach Lanning says. Ducks Bo Nix. Will Oregon's Oregon Ducks QB Bo Nix play on Saturday? If he plays, it's a little different. It's obviously a little different because he's playing at an insane clip right now. He's got freaking 38 touchdowns this season or something like that. So I think we're going to go with the Ducks. It being at Oregon's pretty big too. They're coming off a tough loss against Washington. And Oregon is a two or U- Utah's the favorite. The thing I'm looking at says Oregon's the favorite. We're going to pick Oregon. We're going to pick Oregon. So yeah, there are our picks of the week. Again, not going over them because I don't want to. I don't want to go over them. I'm going to send these to Tom because he's being a pain in my ass again. So uh Hopefully these picks do well. Hope you didn't pick them. This is for me and Tom's struggles only. I remember last year, I was tweeting, I was posting these on Instagram. So, like, I I was doing a lot of very stupid things posting that. And I can't do that anymore. I'm not posting these anywhere. Not posting those anywhere. So, with that being said, let's move on to our final segment of today. This show's been a... An interestingly, it's been a kind of a halfway between long and not long episode of the Logan Blackman Show. I feel like I've been going forever. I feel like this show's longer than last week. It is longer, but I feel like a lot longer. It's only like five minutes longer than last week's show, or la- last Wednesday's show, I guess I should say. But uh, yeah, here is what we've got for our week 11 quarterback prospect rankings. We've gone through most of the film at this point. I haven't gotten all the way through yet, but... I've tried. I've tried to get the te- the quarterbacks that we haven't had before done early because I feel like that's more important than doing the guys that we've just consistently had in the list. I feel like that's, I don't know, maybe that's self explanatory. I don't know, but that's just how I feel it is. But there's not been a ton change with the top two spots. I still think it's Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud at this point. Young, they had he had three touchdowns in the game against Ole Miss. Lost his mind a couple times uh, with <laughs> with his offensive line, rightfully so. Had three touchdowns, no turnovers in the game as well. C.J. Stroud balled out, had five touchdowns against Indiana. There's not really a lot to say about this. We had Marvin Harrison Jr. have one of the, had a V catch of the year. Going to be the first wide receiver off the board next year. So, yeah, there's not really a lot to say in this game. 34 touchdowns, four picks for the season on C- for C.J. Stroud. Him and Hooker are battling neck and neck for that Heisman spot right now, especially with what Hendon Hooker did against Missouri this past weekend, which was not surprising at all. But, um, yeah, I'm struggling with these next three. And you all know who the next three are. You all know who the next three are. There's no, You don't need me to tell you the next three are. No particular order. Levis, Richardson, Hooker. Those are the next three. I do not know what the actual hell Saturday was with Will Levis in uh, Kentucky. You lost to Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. 
the team with one of the worst pass defenses, not just in college football, or not just in the con- the conference, the country. You get back into the top 25 after having a solid enough performance against Missouri. Obviously, that's a question marks around there. Missed a lot of chances. Their kicking team sucks ass this year. You had opportunities there. Didn't happen for you. And you come out and lose to Vanderbilt. And this wasn't like when you lost South Carolina, where Will Levis wasn't playing. Like, the other losses this year, Ole Miss, Will Levis played, got hurt, but Ole Miss is a good team. Will Levis played against Tennessee, played very, very bad. He was not there against South Carolina. In this game, he played. And through an interception, Chris Rodriguez ran for 162 yards. But, like, I don't know what's going on. Like, from a prospect standpoint, I like Levis a lot. I think with all the physical tools he has, I think he can be one of the top guys in the draft. I still think at this point, Levis will be taken with a top five. Or not, I, I can guarantee, almost guarantee a top 10. I could see a reality top 15. I don't think he slides out of the first round. I don't think he slides out of the first round. Because like we've said before, try to close your eyes, take your eyes off of what the performance was against a team like Vanderbilt. I know that's hard to get a, wrap your head around. I know it's hard to wrap your head around. But bear with me here. Look at what you think he can be rather than what he is. When you look at what Kentucky does, we've talked about this a thousand times in the show, but i I got to keep reiterating it because there's games like this that really make you question what you're doing with your life when you're looking at Will Levis and going, yeah, that's a top guy in the draft. He just lost to freaking Vanderbilt, a team that hasn't won an SEC road game in, what was it, four years? Could be wrong. I don't remember exactly what the number was. They haven't won in a while. It might have been two years. They haven't won an SEC road game in freaking ever. But when you're looking at a guy like Will Levis and you see the style of offense they run, I can say the same thing about Tanner McKee. Their offenses are not ran to their strengths. Kentucky's offense is run, run, run. Chris Rodriguez is the focal point of this offense. And Mark Stoops is an old guy. He switches things up to a certain extent. He gets different players in, but no, he normally, more normally, good Lord, he sticks with the same philosophy. You get new players in, but this philosophy will relatively stay the same, and that's what we're getting here. The O-line sucks ass. Like, it's bad. The run game's good. The run game's good, but the pass game stinks. The receivers are dropping a lot of passes, more so in the case of McKee than Will Levis, but it's just tough. Like, you see the physical tools there. He has one of the strongest arms in the draft, physically gifted in regards to his size and athletic ability, though his rushing numbers won't show that this year. Because he has, like, what? what is his official rushing stats this year? It's not great. I know, a negative 123 yards. That's not indicative to the athlete that he is. He is a better athlete than C.J. Stroud is, and C.J. Stroud has more rushing yards than that. He's a better athlete than Stroud. But he's just not being able to show it. And it's insanely frustrating. It's mind-numbingly frustrating when you watch Levis, you could see what he can be, and then you watch a game like that, or a game against Tennessee, where you're like, what the hell was that? What is going on? I can almost guarantee he's not playing healthy. I don't think he's healthy. But, god damn. It's struggle but Like, against Vanderbilt. Like, I gave a pass in the Tennessee game. I gave a pass in the Tennessee game. But 11 completions against Vanderbilt? The, like, Tennessee's pass defense is not good, but I can understand, like, the atmosphere of Neyland Stadium was, like, it was infectious that night. It was a different atmosphere. It was just a completely different game. But you're at home against Vanderbilt. 
You had to come back on Vanderbilt. When, when has that ever been a thing? Coming back against Vanderbilt. They were down 14-6 to at one point in this game. And then Vanderbilt scores with 20 seconds left, 30 seconds left, to go on to win the game. Like Chris Rodriguez had a massive-ass run in the game, which is where he got a lot of his yards from. But it just was so frustrating to look back at that game and go, what the hell was that? And then you look at the other two guys, like Hooker. And in Hooker, I think they set the, the school record for total yards of offense. And it, we knew that was going to happen. It was kind of a situation of, Who's the poor sucker that's going to come in the way of the train that is Tennessee after losing to Georgia? And that poor sucker just happened to be Missouri, who's not a terrible team. They're not good, but they're not a terrible team. Like, they took Georgia to the ringer. Like, they had a chance to beat Georgia. But Tennessee, coming off a game against Georgia, they were pissed and ended up scoring 66 points. Hooker had 355 yards, three touchdowns. Jalen Hyatt, 146 yards. Brew McCoy had 111. Like, like... I don't know what to say. Like, this was just un- this was not expect- unexpected at all. Henry Hooker had a 50 yards rushing and also had a touchdown. So he had four total touchdowns, no turnovers, with over 400 yards of total offense. Like, this was just a buzzsaw, and Missouri just happened to step in the way of it. And then you've got Anthony Richardson, who was playing really, really well these past three games. Really, really well these past three games. And I'm really enjoying watching it especially since he's blowing out teams. Like, he had 96 yards rushing with a touchdown, and he had 112 yards passing with two touchdowns. Like, you look at what Anthony Richardson is as regards to athletic gifts like we talked about with Will Levis. I don't think, and we've said this a thousand times, you're going to, like, you're smacking your head against a wall with me saying this. There's not a better thrower, natural thrower of the football than uh, Anthony Richardson in college football. There's not. I, there's just not. I'm sorry. There, you can go and watch every single game. Like, is it inconsistent? Yes, it's inconsistent as hell. That's the problem. But when you just look at, like, what he can be, I don't think there's anybody with a higher ceiling than Anthony Richardson. Like, he does not look like a monster, like a big dude. He's 6'4", 232 pounds. He doesn't look that big. He looks relatively thin. He's a big dude. Him and Levis. Athletic gifts through the freaking roof. And I think, again, at the combine, I think Anthony Richardson will blow the combine away with his arm talent, with his athletic ability. I think he'll blow away the 40. I think he'll show off of the, the throwing stuff if he ends up coming out. If he doesn't end up coming out, then that's a totally different thing, and then we got a whole different discussion. But that dude's good. He's raw as hell. He's raw as hell. And he can have moments of like, what What was that? Where you're like, what? what were you looking at there? But man, it is when it's when he's cooking, it's fun to watch. There's not a lot of other quarterbacks I'd rather watch than Anthony Richardson when he's fully on, like he has been these past three games, or uh, past um past two games because the Georgia one I guess was two was three games ago, right? Even against Georgia, he had really good moments against Georgia too. He played solidly against Georgia. Like he's had good numbers. He's like these past two games, balling out right now. He hasn't thrown an interception since the Missouri game on October 8th, which is big. He's not throwing a crap ton of touchdowns. Like, he's thrown, like, since that, he's thrown, what, six touchdowns? So he's not, like, throwing a bunch of, pat. he's not throwing a bunch of touchdowns, but he's got 588 yards, just under 2,000 yards passing on the season. His completion percentage is not amazing, but it's just fun. Like, he had a touchdown in this game. He rolled out a little bit to the left, or not, didn't roll out. He just was looking to the right, threw it back to the left for a touchdown. 
Like, he's just so effortless. And I'm sitting here trying to figure out how I want to rank these guys because they're completely different stages of the scouting process, which is really weird. Like, starting with Hooker, dude's going to be 25, and he's in an offense that is really honed in on what he does best, and it's very, very fast-paced. Levis is in an offense that does not run anything to his strengths and has a shit-ass off the line. So he gets hit a lot, which causes him to get a little bit, you know, his pocket awareness is not great because he's he's scared. He's uh he's kind of got the like I had to compare him to somebody like, like just this season. It's like Justin Fields early on. Like Justin Fields did not trust it off the line at all. He was leaving the pocket before the pocket even got set up 90% of the time early on, and now we're seeing him at his potential. They're running plays to Justin Fields' strengths. They're letting him be Justin Fields. Kentucky's not doing that because it's not how their offense is traditionally run under Mark Stoops. So it's hard to view Levis like that if you're just looking from the outside in and go, wow, he sucked ass against Vanderbilt. I can understand why he'd say that, and he did. I'm not saying he didn't, but you got to look at the past the he sucked ass part, <laughs> which is which can be hard to do. Which can be very, very hard to do. And then Anthony Richardson, who's just not there yet. Anthony Richardson is not there yet. He's got all the physical tools. He's got the best arm in college football. Mix of arm talent and athletic ability. It's just not all there yet. And I think if he got to a system that would make him like a good coaching structure and a good veteran that was there already, I think he'd be very, very good. I think he'd be very, very good. So the, that's the problem. They're all in different stages. Like You, you, <laughs> you can put him like in a, a tier list. You got Hooker over the evaluate, over evaluation stage. Levis is at the prime spot, and then Richardson's early. So it's kind of a weird situation we've got with these three different quarterbacks. So that makes it hard to rank, especially when you're going week by week. I think that's that's what makes it a little harder for me. <laughs> um, seven, six, seven, eight. Uh, we've got Jaron Hall, Bo Nix, and uh, Tanner McKee. Jaron Hall didn't play this week, so it's we can brush that one aside. They play Utah Tech, so we'll have a good week this week. Bo Nix played Washington, had a solid game. Obviously didn't throw, his his throw at the end of the game came up short, but Bo Nix showed off his athletic ability numerous times this game. He had a rushing touchdown in this game. He broke off a couple big runs, and he threw some very, very well-thrown touchdown passes in this game. And when I say that, I know that sounded repetitive. He threw a couple very well-thrown touchdowns. Nice. He threw a couple touchdowns in this game that had very good touch on the ball. Like, very impressive. The first one was more of a traditional pocket pass. It's about a 40-something yard play and led the receiver perfect. I can't remember who uh, who was it. Was it, uh, was it Deontay? It was Deontay Thornton. Deontay Thornton. He had two defenders coming in on him, got shot in the face, took a nice little shot to the face, and then delivered a strike. And then the second one came a little bit later, I think, to th- – um, sorry, I'm trying to make sure I've got all this right uh, – to Tor- Troy Flank- Franklin for 67 yards – that one came when he was on the move. And when you look at what quarterbacks are, they're trying to have quarterbacks be in the NFL and the, the level they're moving to is how, how can you throw off platform? Can you throw on the move? Can you make plays by yourself? And right now, Bo Nix is doing that at a really, really impressive clip. I know he didn't wasn't very good at Auburn. I know that. Not, I'm not naive to that fact that he wasn't very good at Auburn. But the dude's got 38 total touchdowns this year. He's got 14 rushing, 24 passing. 
He's destroyed his rushing numbers. He's got 516 rushing yards. He's got almost 3,000 passing yards. He'll have 3,000 passing yards realistically at the end of the game against Utah on Saturday. Uh, and he might have to have a really good game because he's got a little little more than 300 yards to go. He's got 325 to go. But um, he's just playing really well. He does all the little things that NFL coaches are looking for and at scouting and talent evaluators looking for. He can make plays well on the move. Jaron Hall can do that as well. Taron McKee can do that to a lesser extent, but he still can. Tanner McKee still can do that, but his his situation, like Levis, it's just bad. Like, if you watch Stanford, it's a different t- style of situation what Levis has because there are still some, like Chris Rodriguez is way better than every offensive player Stanford has. Just saying it like that. They've lost both their starting running backs this season. Uh, Philkin just got hurt a few weeks ago. Receivers aren't great, and the O-line stinks. And you watch Stanford play, and, like, their reads. They'll run, like, an RPO-style play. The reads are so long. Like, Tanner McKee's riding the back until he gets basically back to the line of scrimmage. Like, what the hell was set up by this play? And he does move around to a certain extent. He has very pretty decent pocket awareness. He's just not fast enough to get outside of it. He's got the natural size. His arm ability is insane, but it's just, Stanford just, cancer to watch they're really rough to watch and I just don't Tanner McKee is a is a good quarterback he's a very good quarterback he just plays with a bunch of bums really to say it lightly that's saying it lightly like that game against Utah looking back at it miserable they have to beat Cal this week you cannot lose to freaking Cal when you're Stanford you can't lose to Cal you're supposed to be big brother you got John Elway there you're not supposed to lose. I know they had Aaron Rodgers and Jerry Goff, but you had John freaking Elway, Jim Plunkett. You've had Heisman Trophy, Andrew Luck. Heisman Trophy winners have come through there. Like famous sons of play. Barry Sanders' kid played there. I think Emmett Smith's kid's there now. Like You've got all this talent there. You cannot lose to Cal. You can't lose to Cal. Number nine, Michael Penix from Washington. Very good game. Very good game uh, against Oregon last week. It was a nice rule of quarterback battle that week. He had Michael Penix throw for 408 yards, two touchdowns. Second time, he's gone for over 400 yards this season. He's leading the nation in passing yards this year. And has 25 touchdowns, six interceptions, with also two rushing touchdowns as well. And I'm expecting him to go off this week. He's playing Colorado. But Penix moves around really well. I'm not saying he's like, he's not going to burn you for 100 yards rushing in a game. At least I don't think. He, pick, he can pick up big chunks of yards rushing the ball. There was one play early on in the game, I think it was a third and 15 or something. He's dropped back. There was pressure coming around the left side and the right side, and he's left-handed, and he reverses out, reverse spins out, and then picks up a first down. Massive gain. He's got a very quick release. He's got a very strong He throws really good out routes. And he throws a lot of really good routes to the side. Like, oh, I didn't even talk about this. Bo Nix's throw to, I think, Thornton that got they got the penalty on. Before the last play of the game, that was an elite throw that Bo Nix made in that game. I didn't mention that earlier. Forgot about that. But Michael Penix can throw some beautiful out routes. Some beautiful out routes. His mechanics are very solid for being a left-handed quarterback. I know it can be odd to watch a left-handed quarterback from time to time, but he throws a very good football. Very quick release. It's weird having him in here. It's kind of a similar situation to Bo Nix. But Penix had better success at Indiana than Bo Nix did at Auburn in regards to an individual level. He just sucked ass last year. It looked like he couldn't figure out how to play on a torn ACL. Or he, he tore his ACL and he came back. It didn't look like he was comfortable with it. Transferred to Washington. Now they're they're playing really, really well. And Penix is playing very, very well. 
Uh, number 10 is Jane Daniels. He didn't do a lot this week. 86 yards passing a pick, 10 yards rushing against Arkansas. It, it was a weird game, especially without bad Arkansas's past defenses. The fact that he can't get over 100 yards passing in that game. I still think he's a very good quarterback, though. We've we've liked him since last year. So it's not like we're sitting here like, oh, we're jumping on the, the Jane Daniels bandwagon. No, Jane Daniels has been a favorite of the Logan Blackman show for the past couple years now. I like Jane Daniels a lot. And I'm glad he's doing well at LSU. It just wasn't his week last week. So that is your top 10. We will have the blog post out for you at some point today. I don't know exactly when that will be for you guys, but uh, you can go to theloganblattmanshow.com and go to blogs and check it out. Or again, you can follow the Logan Blattman Show on all, every single form of social media, and you can find it there as well. I would greatly appreciate it. And um, I think that's all I've got for you today, except for I saw a thing on Twitter today. It was Trayvon Diggs, the cornerback for the Dallas Cowboys. He listed his top five receivers in the league. He listed Diggs at one, Adams two, Tyreek Hill three, Chase four, and C.D. Lamb five. Now, I agree with the top five to a certain extent, except for one glaring problem is that C.D. Lamb's in there. Why? I like C.D. Lamb. I don't really have an issue with him. Why is he there above Justin Jefferson? Well, I think those are the. T- I think with Jefferson in there, I think that's the top five receivers in the league. I don't know what order I'd put it in. I'd put Devontae one. Probably. Uh, sadly, Chase probably going to have to come at five. So one Adams, five Chase. Hmm. Bias. Diggs two. Jefferson three. Hill four. I don't know. That, that Those three are tough because Tyreek Hill can do things that no one else in the NFL could do. That dude's an absolute game changer with the ball in his hands. Absolute game changer. The fastest player in the NFL. They He's changing the NFL in regards to what we're looking at for wide receivers in regards to speed being the number one priority now. Like Justin Jefferson was almost not a first-round draft pick, and Jalen Rager was drafted above him because of Tyreek Hill. Like It's just stuff like that. Like Tyreek Hill is the reason Jalen Rager got drafted before Justin Jefferson because every other year – or normal circumstance, that does not happen at all. That never happens. Because Judge Jefferson at LSU was 10 times receiver. Rager was at TCU. All you need to do is open your freaking eyes, and then that still happened because Rager was fast. Like That's what Tyreek Hill did to the NFL. It's like Steph Curry in the NBA. Similar situation. But, yeah, that's all I've got for you today. I do hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you're ready for the World Cup. I'm very excited. Reminder, the game start on Sunday with, uh, I guess I should look up the schedule. What is the schedule? What time are games kicking off? So we got uh, Qatar taking on Ecuador at 10. That is on. Uh, that's the only game on Sunday, I guess. That's 10 a.m. on Sunday, November 20th. Now we've got on Sunday, on Monday, we've got the we got England taking on Iran. We've got Senegal and the Netherlands and at 1 o'clock. we got USA versus Wales. Very exciting stuff. The World Cup is here, ladies and gentlemen. The World Cup is freaking here. Let's freaking go. All right, that's all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If not, I apologize. Make sure you follow Logan Blavich on all forms of social media. Make sure you're following the Apple Podcast and Spotify account. Leave a rating out of five stars on both. And leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. And I will see you all later. Hope you enjoy your weekend. Peace.